0: Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so in our app or by visiting give.
1: Well, welcome to another episode of Digging for the Truth. Tonight, we're going to be talking about well, Babylon, the apostasy, and the last days. And really, this is kind of a topic that seems to keep coming up. I mean, it's actually been on uh, some archaeology shows lately in regards to Babylon and Mesopotamia and locations of the Bible and so forth. So I was like, you know what, this was already kind of in my pipeline. And uh, I wanted to kind of break into this. And not only that, everybody can kind of feel just the, the yucky going on in the world. And we're going to kind of get to the root of it and kind of where it started, where it came from. I mean, we all kind of know, but let's talk about, you know, where we are as a society a little bit. So to get started, here's the, here's, I'm going to go ahead and ask for forgiveness. I am uh, not going to, I'm not going to show any of the uh, the scripture on the screen. Uh, In fact, there's so much research I did. I mean, there's 12 pages of notes here. I mean, clearly I'm not going to get through all of this. Um, however, I wanted to just, if you're, if you're taking notes or if you're really wanting to dig into this some more, uh, I'm going to give you just a ton of scripture that you can use, um, to kind of go dig this, uh, dig into this uh, yourself. So, but that being said though, I just wanted to kind of talk about, are these things connected? Um, Babylon, the apostasy, the last days, are all these things connected and, you know, really kind of begins around 2120 B.C. Uh, so 2120 uh, BC was basically when uh, Nimrod, he's the great grandson of Noah, um, he was building, and he was, he was, he was a great conqueror. We're going to read some scripture here in Genesis 10 uh, in a second, but he was a, he was a great conqueror. He united all of these city-states, and he was the one that was, was responsible for building uh, the Tower of Babel. So when you look at the scriptures, to kind of give you a point of reference, um, you know the father of our faith, Abraham, he was born around 2000 B.C. In fact, we're going to look at a few images tonight of an area near where he was born. Um, but in Genesis 10, beginning in verse 8, it says, Cush beget Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric. Cade, Colne, uh, and the land in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to, into Assyria and built Nineveh, Reboth Er, Kala, and Ressum. Between the Nineveh and Kala, that is the principal city. So when you begin to look at he he, he was consolidating all these lands. And, you know, there, I want to kind of go back up and break apart just one little thing is that he was a mighty one on the earth. And it says that, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter uh, before the Lord. Well, that mighty hunter before the Lord. We're going to look at that one word uh, before. And in the Hebrew, it's called panim. Um, and that's P-A-N-I-Y-M, if you're going to go look that up. But the, it's defined like this. It says the face, the part that turns against anger, battle, because of. And so it's used 17 times in regards of against, including right here. And so when you talk about being a mighty hunter, he was a mighty hunter against the Lord Nimrod was the original prototype uh, of the antichrist and so he was setting the model he was against god he wanted to be you know independent um, his own god that that's what society you know in fact we're going to get a little bit into that here in a little bit in regards to currently you know what all this you know uh trans stuff and everything else and the transhumanism and, and things of that nature but that's to be your own god um and so, this is not a new sin. It's not a new spirit that is trying to descend upon the earth. This goes all the way back. And here's what's crazy, and I never get this, is that we're only 200 years from the flood. That means there are still people on the earth that were. Pre-flood, in fact, we know for a fact Noah and Shem are still on the earth, right? And and some of the others, we have context. In fact, if you go back, I did a podcast a while back, talked about just kind of a little tidbit, you know, digging for the truth. I want to do more about teaching how to dig into the word and how these things tie to archaeology and then how to apply that. Um, But anyway, in, in one of those previous podcasts that I had done, I talked about Shem. And what's crazy is that Shem, Noah's son, outlived Abraham. By 35 years. So there were people, you know, contemporaries on the earth that could say, listen, wake up. This isn't going to work. And so this is one of the things we quickly fall away from God again and again and again. And I could take a lot of bunny trails on this. I'm going to try not, not to. But John the Apostle, in, in the New Testament, he wrote five uh, of, of, the, of the books, okay? The Gospel, three epistles, and Revelation. Well, when he wrote first, second, and third John, one of the things that they were already fighting was that um, you know, Gnosticism had infiltrated the church. And Gnosticism is basically just it's a, it's a belief that everything physical is evil and everything whole, uh, sorry, uh, spiritual is holy. Well, so what they began to teach, false doctrine, false teaching, right out out of the gate, was that and it was begin to creep into these churches was that Jesus could not have come in the physical you know, in, in way. Well, I'm going to, not today, but in a, in a, in a sermon here uh, in July, I'm going to actually teach on that very thing. Is because the, th- the, the enemy comes in to twist truth. Um, and, and so from the very beginning of time, I mean, from the moment they fell, I mean, man, they come to God and they, and they fall away from God quickly. Um, and this is no different. So I want to go ahead. Satan and his demons, though, through Nimrod, they conspired against God to try to bring mankind into a single government. So the Antichrist spirit began there, okay? And the Antichrist, this is this is something that Satan's wanted to do from the very beginning. In Genesis 11, beginning in, uh, I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth between my notes on my computer and and over here, but in uh, 11, begin, in verses 1 through 9, this is where it really starts talking about uh, Babel and how they did this. And it's important to understand that Babylon... Is a physical place, okay? And we're going to talk about it metaphorically as well. But let's start here. Now, the whole earth had gone uh, had one language, and it came to pass as they journeyed from uh, from the east that they had found a plain the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, "Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly." And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, "Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves." lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. So first of all, they're already, this is already a sin of, they they are afraid because they are turning their backs on God. They've already, their hearts are turned away from God. So they know that they better stick together. And and that's exactly what they're trying to do. Now they want to build a temple and enshrine themselves. So what has happened is Nimrod has led them away from God. So don't serve him. We are mightier than that. We can be our own God and we can, you know, worship ourselves and we can worship that which we create with our hands. And so I'll let you go ahead in the beginning of verse five, it says then God came down and scattered them all over the earth and so forth. And there's an interesting thing there too. Whenever he confused their language, you know, uh, he also scattered them over the face of the earth. And I don't want to get too far into this tonight, but when you begin to look at um, structures all around the world from, um, you know, uh, down in the Mayan civilizations, you know, in and, and South America. And you look at all in in, in uh, China, all the building in, in, the, in, in India and all of these places. There were so many places that the the construction was very similar to what we're going to look at and talk about here, about how making these bricks. And now when they were in the desert, they made them out of you know they made these; they had all the sand, and basically, sand and the aggregate makes a great, a great brick, especially when you mix it with mortar. But here's what's interesting: is that you know we know that it's a physical place, and when Nebuchadnezzar came in and he took this and took the the, uh, the Israelites into captivity, and we're going to begin right there. Actually, in Daniel one, verses one and two, it says, "In the third year." Uh, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he had carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles of the house and treasure into uh, to his God, a false god. Here's what's interesting. So, the ancient Babylonian city was created. So, we're talking, this is a physical place. And this all happened around 600 BC. Okay. And then he installed, Nebuchadnezzar installed the puppet king. And you can go read the scripture and kind of see where all that goes. We know. But what's interesting about this is that sometimes we get a little confused on locations. And so, I want to show this little video or this little clip I kind of put together and, and where the actual where Babylon actually is. So we're looking at the Middle East. You can see Israel there to the left. That's the area of Babylon right there where that, that bullet point is. And as it zooms in here, those are actually the ruins of Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, we can put a little Nebuchadnezzar on here. Uh, right There we go. In and, and those are his old, that's his temple grounds. Right to the north of where he's standing Okay, you can't see it very well here, but those were the lands where they called, you know, the, one of the seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens. Now, things get a little, you know, confusing sometimes. You look straight to the left. That right there, many times, they say that that was the Tower of Babel. It's a little circle, circular cylinder thing. But the thing is, is that that really is not the case now, they have rebuilt it, and there's some interesting things here, but here's, here's what's interesting. This is where archaeology and the Bible, when they connect, really cool things begin to come out. So there's another—first of all, there's a, a, a Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, He actually had the connection between him and the Tower of Babel is that he rebuilt Okay, what is known as the Tower of Borsippa, but also okay was later confirmed to be the original location of the Tower of Babel. Let me see if I can show you here on my computer. Let me, let me try to bring this up real quick. There is, so basically from, let me pop over to my computer. If you're looking here, see the red, okay, which we're going to talk about that here in just a moment, but that's the Tower of Borsippa. And right here we're showing the Ishtar Gate. This, These right here, this is the complex that we're talking right there, okay, or the, is the complex. And you're looking basically 25 kilometers uh, south west as the crow flies. So what's interesting about this is that there was a, in the Tower of Borsippo, I'm going to show you some pictures here in a minute, but there was a, a cuneiform okay, cylinder found. Now cuneiform cylinder is basically, cuneiform is an old uh, ancient form of writing in Mesopotamia, uh, Babylon, this was the form of writing that was used. You can go do a little bit of research. But what was interesting is that in the mid-19th century, Sir Henry Rawlinson, he discovered the Burr Cylinder. Okay, so this is Sir Henry Rawlinson right here. He discovered this burr cylinder, which is like a clay cylinder. That's what I just showed you. Okay, And here's what's interesting. So when we come back over and we look at um, that cylinder, I want to read to you what's on that writing. So here's what that says. It says, I am Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. My great Lord has established me in strength and has urged me to repair his buildings. The Tower of Babylon, I have made it and finished. The Tower of Borsippa had been built by a former king. He had completed 42 cubits, but he did not finish its head. From the lapse of time, it had become ruined. The rain and the wet had penetrated into the brickwork. The casing of burnt brick had bulged out. Merodach, that's his false god. My great Lord inclined my heart to repair the building. I did not change its size, nor did I destroy its foundation platform. But in a fortunate month, and uh, in, in upon an auspicious day, kind of, there's actually some interesting stuff behind just that language too, but I undertook the rebuilding. I set my hand to build it up and to finish its summit and had seen and as it had been in, in ancient times. So I built up its structure. So here's what's kind of interesting. Um, there's there's several different images. Now, some of the ones I want to show you, on your own time, go look up the Tower of Borsippa. It's really interesting, but here's a couple of images of it. Um, here's the first one. So when you step back and you look at this from a distance, I mean, it just looks like, you know, a mountain. But all of that, okay, that is there, it was actually a ziggurat. Ziggurats are what are assumed to be built uh, as part of, you know, the Tower of Babel. It was a form, like a ziggurat's is a type of building or structure. I'll show you another one here in a minute. But here is, you know, another view of it, okay? And that at the top, what's interesting, so you can see these roads. This is an enormous structure. It is all man-made. I'm going to go back to that original one, okay? These are man-made. In fact, there was one I wanted to show, but I didn't have a— I couldn't get the copyright for it without paying a bunch of money. Um, But there was a truck sitting on on top of that. It was a fairly large pickup truck, and it looked like a dot. And so this is a really big structure, I want to show you another one, though, that might actually look familiar. Now, this is not Tower of Babel or Borsa, but this is actually the Ziggurat of Ur. Now, here's the, if you think about, you know, the scripture, the Ur, the the, the, the location, uh, should ring a bell. And that is, that's where Abraham began. That's where he probably, so when Abraham was alive, he saw the Ziggurat. Now, they've, re- they've, they've gone and, and re, uh, didn't really rebuild it, but they repaired it. And this is, but it's really neat. In fact, whenever they were uh, going in in to Iraq during the war, you had these soldiers walking up the front of that. It's kind of, there's some cool pictures out there you can go look uh, and see. So, what's interesting though, we're talking, we're going to start kind of moving a little bit from the physical to the metaphorical, because Babylon was a physical place, and it was an evil place, and here's one of the things we know about how, why, how evil it was. Well, let's look at Daniel 1, 6-7. It says, Now from among those the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, uh, and Azariah. Um, to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. This is important. I wanted to go ahead and stop. And this is why we're going, we, we, they are in Babylon, a physical place. But this is also the spirit behind it because they worshiped some of the most demonic gods that still exist, you know, and people are worshiping today, right? Um, Baal, Ishtar, Molech. So Daniel, his name in Hebrew is God is my judge. His name was changed to Belteshazzar. Bell will protect. So see, they're he's. In, this is intentional. They're they're trying to erase their history. That's what evil always does. It tries to erase truth with a lie, with their own. In, in in this case, they're taking the most demonic gods that they worship, and they're they're trying to replace the names of all these people who had godly, you know Yahweh names. Let's keep going. Hananiah. Yah, has been gracious what was its original meaning. His Given name in, in uh, Babylon was Shadrach, inspired of Aku. Aku is another demonic god. Mishael, who is what God is, is what, is, what it meant. Dr- I mean, this was in a direct, so in other words, basically belonging to God. Direct, you know, translation over in, in, in uh, Babylonian name is Meshach. Belonging to, instead of to God, what? To Aku. This last one's kind of really interesting. I'm going to touch on it just a little bit because there's something going on. So I'm filming this. Uh, I guess it's like June 20th. This will be released on June 22nd, um, and it's the middle of June, which happens to be, you know, Pride Month, right? All this gay stuff. It's interesting. This is here's a root of it right here. Um, Azariah, his name uh, in in Hebrew was Yah has helped. His Babylonian name is Abednego, servant of Nego, which is also another name for Ishtar. So I want to talk on Ishtar for just. A second. Now, if you really want to get into this, and I highly recommend um, that you, you do your own research and you dig into this, but you, you should get the book of Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. And it really goes in and breaks down uh, in a much better way than what I'm going to do tonight um, just these false gods, how they've come into our current society. But I want to talk about Ishtar for just a moment. So, Ishtar was uh, the first manifested Mesopotamian uh, religion as the goddess of war and sexual love. And Ishtar has many names, you know, Aphrodite, Dionysus, um, you know, Venus, all these different gods, right? It's it's the same spirit. Her female worshipers uh, were devoted followers. In fact, they had to function as prostitutes at least once in their life. I mean, this was part of their their religion. She was foundational to hedonism and physical or sexual pleasure. Um, Her priests were actually men. Get this, her priests were men, and they were forced to dress as women. In fact, not only uh, was the goddess she's the goddess of the war, masculine, and the goddess of sexual love, but she's also the goddess of converting a man to a woman and a woman to a man. Does that sound familiar? What's What's crazy is even in ancient times they had. I'm trying to remember the Hebrew name of the of the month, uh, or in the Bab- sorry the Babylonian name, um, and, and you can there's there's a corla- uh, the cor- correlating rather Hebrew name, but it turns out it was the month of June. The entire month of June, even back then, was celebrating Ishtar. This homosexual encounters, debauchery, hedonism, transgenderism. All it is is just a different name. This has been going on for millennia after millennia. And and so you go, well, where is that in the Bible? A whole bunch of places. I'm going to spout out it. a ton of places for you to go do your own research. But in Judges 2.13, they forsook the Lord and served Bel and the Ashtraths. So the the Ashtoreths were Ishtar. It's just a, it's the same it's the same god, just a different name. Let me give you some more. Judges ten six, the children of uh, of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Bel's and the Ashtraths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of people of Ammon. The gods of the Philistines. They forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. Really, kind of interesting aside here. What's interesting about the Moabites and the Ammonites is if you go back and you read about Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot was, you know, supposed to be the one righteous man, right? So God came in, sent two angels, sent the angels. They saved him, and his wife looked back. We all know about Lot's wife, and but he ended up in a cave with his two daughters. If you don't know the story, it'll kind of blow your mind a little bit. But Lot had an incestuous relationship with each of his daughters. Okay? One was named Moab, and the other one was named Ammon. Or Ammon. Okay? And so those became the Moabites and the Ammonites. And so, the and they stood against Israel in evil, especially in the areas of sex, had, or, or were worshipped. And so, you, could, it's just... it's. I'm going to give you some more scripture. You can go uh, look up the Astros, uh and uh, do this on your own if you want. But 1 Samuel 7, 3, 1 Samuel 12, 10, 1 Kings 11, 4 through 9, 1 Kings 11, 33, 2 Kings 23, 13, and 1 Kings 11, 1. So, if you are doing some research on your own, go look those things up. It's, it's just it's intriguing how we continually repeat. With, it's so documented, and there's so much history, and there's proof. And yet, we, we repeat ourselves again and again and again. We can talk about that in a minute. But what's talking about is that if you look at when you're entering the city of Babylon, the very first thing that you would do is you would enter. Let me see if I have a picture. Here we go. You would enter through the gate of Ishtar. You see that blue. Gate right in the middle. Well, that's the gate of Ishtar. Here's another recreated model. Uh, and, and so you would pass through this gate, saying that the gate, when you pass through here, you're entering uh, a hedonistic, paganistic, you know. We worship, you know, lust in, in whatever sexual, you know, it's, it's complete hedonism. Anyway, so just kind of an interesting aside there. But Ishtar, if you're if you want to dig deeper into this, and then I mentioned the god Molech a minute ago. So the god Molech is the god of the basically of, of child sacrifice. Um, so that is the spirit that is behind all of this abortion, um, and and so that kind of leads us into the uh, the metaphorical Babylon, right? So Babylon is as, so that the, the phrase, just the the very mention and the definition of Babylon is to be in competition. Uh, with God to be so proud and rebellious that you want to re- replace God. Okay, so the the, the, the prophets describe Babylon as a city of pride and idolatry, in Revelation seventeen five through six. And on her forehead a name was written: mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her. I marveled with great amazement. And that marvel wasn't like a good like Oh, wow, that's impressive. Like, it was so bad that you could not comprehend uh, what he was seeing. Revelation 18, 1 through 3. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen. And I'm looking forward to hearing him say that. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of, of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. This is exactly what's going on. In fact, um, I'm trying to remember exactly where it is. I think it's in Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. or it might have in. Uh, no, no, yeah, it would be in, in Second Thessalonians, I believe, but it talks about just peace and safety. Well, when you break that down, it's talking about we, we, we are trusting wealth and luxury and all these things. Well, you, we're going to quickly see all of those things be ripped from us. Um, and so as it was, you know, in the days of old, Babylon, paganism, hedonism, evil, self before God, that sounds just like today. Um, in fact, I have been watching, you, you hear all these, the trans, the transgenderism and, and some of these transhumanists, and it's not just Satanism, and, but they, they literally say, we can be our own gods. One of the most evil people on this planet, um, if you haven't heard of him, his name is Yuval Harari. He's ironically uh, a Jew, and he teaches in, at the University of Jerusalem, hates God. Mocks him all the time, and he is actually probably the number one uh, uh, consultant to Klaus Schwab uh, at the World Economic Forum. Um, They call him a prophet, ironically, and he says all kinds of demonic things. He says the God of the Hebrew Bible, every time he got mad, then he would take the rain away. He says, we don't need that anymore. We have desalinization plans. He can get as mad as he wants. I mean, that's the way he talks about God. But one of the things that he said recently, which which is, this is not for the podcast tonight, but just to touch on it, is they're talking about artificial intelligence. If you don't see some of the things going on with AI, I am in technology, and I'll just tell you, man, it's uh, it's not good. It is not good. But he said this last week that artificial intelligence is going to be the best thing that ever happened because it's going to be a super intelligence that can create a new religion and, and, and create a quote-unquote correct Bible. I mean, that these are the, this is the language. That is Babylon. They are in competition against God. They hate God. Why do they hate God? Because they, their hearts are filled with evil. They, they care more about self, and they care about God. And God is so gracious, and he's given, them so many, given us all so many chances. But I see the things going on now. I'm like, God, yeah, we deserve it. Come, you know, just pour out your wrath because we as a society around the globe have turned our backs on you. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. What connects these following phrases or topics? Marriage in in today, in relating to today's society, okay? Marriage, critical race theory, racism, the gay pride movement, euthanasia, transgenderism, abortion, radical climate policies and politics, and radical feminism. I know. I'm racist, right? Okay. The answer is they are all competing with God's authority as creator. I have never, I just, I can't even believe people in Canada right now, it is becoming an epidemic of people going. And now, it's, in fact, they're even in, in, uh, in Canada, they passed a law saying if somebody's dealing with any type of potentially terminal illness, that they have to tell them, these doctors have to tell them, say, hey, listen, did you know that uh, we can help your pain? We can take your life. Just tell us, just give us the thumbs up and, you know, we'll kill you. And so many of these doctors are... Rebelling against this, I am not going to tell my patients that my job as a doctor is to bring hope and to hopefully bring health and to help get them, you know, ha- have a long and and fruitful and 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 a quality of life. You're telling me now, hey, well, it's so bad, we might as well just kill you. There's nothing we can do for you. Doesn't look good. That is, I mean, it's just it's evil. That is the spirit of Babylon. Abortion. So let's just take let's just take this and we'll look at a couple of them. Let's look at abortion. Okay. So abortion, God creates life and he tells us not to take it. In Genesis nine, six through seven, whoever sheds man's blood, by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Well, what do they say right now? I mean, abortion is the number one killer worldwide, hands down, not even close. But You take the Bill Gates of the world, the Yuval Harari that I mentioned a minute ago, Uh, Jane Goodall. Remember her, the one that lives with monkeys? All right. Well, she came out not too long ago, and so she's – the population of the earth is just too many. And so somebody asked her, well, what do you think the population of the earth should be? And she goes, no more than 600 million. Uh, James Cameron, Avatar, the Titanic, all these movies, right? He actually was being interviewed. He, again, wants to depopulate the earth. And one of the things that he says is, you know, the problem is not enough people are raising their hands, you know, to, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, they're, they lit it. So I'm like, raise your hand. I mean, why aren't you raising your hand? You know, why is your life so much more valuable than somebody else's? It's just, it's nuts. That is the spirit of Babylon. So all of these things, and let's take one more for just a minute. Okay, let's, let's talk about racism. Just for the, for the record, I mean, everything is, is, I know I made a joke second ago about me being racist, right? Well, the thing is, is that everything in in regards to race, we are only one race. We all come from Adam and Eve. We have different, you know, just over, over time, you know, our skin and pigments and where we may have lived and everything else may have changed genetically, but we are one race, period. And so there's a a really good book on that by Ken Ham and Charles Ware's called uh, 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 One Race, One Blood, the biblical answer to racism. So if you have you know, something that you're wanting to learn more about that, that's a good resource. So let's go ahead and go to part two, and that is the apostasy. So all of that stuff that we talked about, so it was kind of fun to talk about some of the history. That's kind of just a nerd in me. I wanted to talk about some of the archaeology and physical places. But really, this is where it's coming to. And so what is the apostasy? Well, the apostate church, which is what I believe we are looking at right now, and we'll talk about that and see if we can't prove that in a minute. But in 1 Timothy 4, Um, And we're going to look at two scriptures. I'm going to go ahead and read them. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Boy, I tell you, man, people just do not have a conscience anymore. That's forbidding to marry. Think about that. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. I was going to show... Uh, an article that I saw earlier today—I just don't have time to get into it—but it had took about um, twenty things from twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three uh, about morality. Well, over seventy seven percent of the population believes that there's no reason to get married. Hey, you know, in fact, just just have sex with whoever you want to. It's okay. Seventy seven percent, and that actually, ironically, that number went down from last year by one percent. Um, you know, but there was there were some that, that some of these studies that just blew my mind in regards to. Um, how people are perceiving things. Now, one number, the only number that was kind of good was the perception of the LGBT movement, and that went down seven points from last year. And that is because it's being force-fed through everything. There's no place you can get away from it now. And seven, it only went down seven points. That was disappointing to me. I was like, it should have gone down, you know, 50 points. But anyway, now let's look at 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, beginning in uh, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and, the, and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as, it, uh, as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day. That's a capital D. This, this is we're talking about as we're coming upon the rapture. Okay, will that for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. So we're talking first about rapture. Man of sin will be revealed, the Antichrist. And then, so that, that's the tribulation, okay? And, uh, and then the son of perdition who ex- opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, okay? Or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself... That he is God. That's the abomination, the desolation of abomination, the abomination of desolation right there. So that's what Daniel spoke of um, and stepping into the temple, the newly created temple, halfway through the tribulation and saying, I am God, worship me. Well, let's, let's just talk about our country, okay? Beginning in the late 50, 1950s, around 1958, um, the attack on prayer and scripture in the school system is when it began. In 1962, 1963, um they were trying to have their cake and eat it too just but they were trying to just get people to be quiet about it but they ruled the mandated prayer in public schools was unconstitutional while still attempting to defend both teachers and students' rights via the first amendment to pray well ultimately each year you know we've known where this has gone and they created this phrase the separation of church and state did you know that that phrase is nowhere in our constitution okay nowhere in fact it's, it's the opposite. It's true. So when we talk about separation of church and state, however you want to phrase that, that's not a phrase that was coined. I'm gonna read. I want to read it. Let's just let's just do this. The very the First Amendment of our Constitution says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people to peaceably symbol and to petition the government for a redress of grievance of grievances so we're, everything in that says hey we are here to hold the government accountable and we are here to keep the government out of the church but yet we right there so i'm going to go back to that that sentence says or prohibiting the free exercise thereof talking about a religion free exercise means to walk it out in my daily life including in my workplace if i'm a politician in my you know representation this is, you know, something that we have totally lost the fight on because we were not a, a, a willing to go through the uncomfortable conversations. People just scream and yell and we're like, I just shut up, whatever, and, and give them what they want. This, I'm telling you, and now we can see the fruit of us not standing up for that. Um, here's an interesting thing, though. There's a there's a man named Michael McConnell. He's a Stanford Constitutional—from uh, the Stanford Constitutional Law Center and Stanford, okay? And he is saying that— the phrase separation of church and state appears nowhere in the Constitution. And the founding fathers saw nothing wrong with having religion in American culture. He came on uh, the, uh, the, the Mark Levin show, Life, Liberty, and Levin. And <clears throat> he says, while Congress is prohibited from enacting a state religion, the founding document says nothing about banishing religion from the public square. The words separation of church and state are not in the Constitution. I think this is a shorthand version. I'm quoting him by now, right now. I think this is a shorthand version of what the Establishment Clause means. He added, noting the passage in the Constitution that reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. You cannot prevent me wherever I go. I am allowed to live out my faith and my religion as long as I am not infringing upon the rights of others. However, they say that I'm infringing upon their rights. They say they don't want me to pray for them. That's fine. I won't pray for them. But... Think about this now. They're making middle school students. Okay. in in fact, I thought this was a little positive story. So up in Pennsylvania, there was, a, and I think another one in New Jersey, they were forcing all the, because it's pride month, right? And there's this gay stuff going on everywhere. Well, they were forcing these kids to wear gay clothes. Well, these kids wore USA American shirts and, and they were, they were supposed to be, I don't know, some parade. And they, instead of that, they started chanting, they, oh, they're supposed to give their pronouns, And they said, my pronouns are USA, USA. And they started ripping down um, this price. Of, These kids have had enough. They don't They don't want it anymore. They don't like it either. That is forced religion upon them. Take it. I'm telling you, you can take it however you want to. But the LGBT movement, it is a religion. And it is a religion in uh, the transgenderism. It is a religion that it, it has a spirit of Ishtar behind it. You know, we are being silenced as Christians, but we don't have to be. We'll talk about how what we're going to do and how we can 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 really what we're supposed to do right now. But I want to I want to talk about this. So, in, in Matthew twelve forty three, I'm just going to. You can go read it, but in Matthew 12, 43, this is where it says any, all the unclean spirits, when an unclean spirit is cleaned out, it goes through all the dry places looking for a place to land. When it can't find someplace, it grabs seven other spirits, more evil than itself and goes back to where it came from. It finds the room and the door open and the room empty. That means that that person who, who God has freed. Okay. didn't fill it with God. They filled it with nothing or evil. Okay. And so then it says, then that person was worse off than it was before. The same thing happens to a nation. The same thing happens to a nation. What do we do? We kicked God out of everything. Kick God out of school. Kick God, you know, out of, out of praying at sporting events. Kick God. And now we're dealing with all of the fallout of that. So is there an apostasy taking place right now? Well, okay, so here's, here's some interesting numbers. 4,500 Protestant churches closed in 2019. This is pre-COVID, by the way with about 3,000 new churches opening. That was the latest numbers that I could get. And the one thing I can tell you is I've seen just, I mean, churches closing left and right. And some of these other numbers would kind of help point to that. Pew Research poll, on the poll found that the U.S. share of U.S. adults typically attending religious services at least once a month dropped from 33% in 2019, which is so sad. 33%? That's it? But that was in 2019. That was before COVID. It gets worse. To 30% in 2022, about 20% of Americans <clears throat> say they now uh, attend person less often than they did before. We need people. I'm going to give you some scripture for that here in a minute. We we are created to be in, in in fellowship with other people and to have a relationship with Jesus. We are not created to be separated, but I want to go ahead and give some numbers. Um, so in in 2019, okay, um, 50% of the people said that they never or seldom went to church. In 2021, And again, every year, this is going up. In fact, if, if you follow the model, so in 2021, the number is 57% say they never or seldom go. I believe that I saw some, a number the other day that said that was closer to 63 to 64% now. The decline in church attendance by demographic, okay? So, um, again, I'm just looking at some of these. They're, they're, they're a little bit older graphs, but 2019, so this is pre-COVID post-COVID. Okay, but in 2019, the 18 to 34-year-old uh, bracket was 36%. Okay, in uh, the 2021, the number has shrunk 10% to 26, 26%. You know, if you look at it by, um, by race, let's, let's, let's one more let's to my demographic, 30, 35 to 64, okay, uh, 2019, 31% were attending, after COVID, twenty-seven. It's almost the same as the eighteen to thirty-four year-old range. I just couldn't. I just it blows my mind. Uh, you know, the whites are actually attending church a whole lot less. The the, the number one group out there is, are, is the black group. But that was even. It, it's amazing how far it went down. So pre-COVID, it was forty-five percent. Post-COVID, thirty. That's the black community, white. 2019, 32%, 2021, 27%. So, anyway, the numbers go on. It's interesting, but it's just you can go out there. So, is there an apostasy? Absolutely. There is a great falling away from the church. I'm going to end the podcast not telling you about a story um, and an encounter that I had a few days ago. And it, it's a testament to that. It happens to be a millennial. All right. So, let's just talk about this. So, what does the effects of the, apost- the apostate church, the apostate church, have on society? Well, Harvard, Harvard Business Review. In a survey, half of millennials, so, the, so the, these are some interesting numbers and we're getting close to wrapping up here, um, but half of millennials, those between 24 and 39, said they left a job, at least partly for mental health reasons. For Gen Z, those numbers were, uh, so that's between those were uh, between 18 and 23. The percentage spikes to 75% compared to just 20% among the general population. Okay, want I want to reiterate this. So the millennials... OK, said so they left a job because, you know, uh, a high percentage of half of them, 50 percent left a job because they, you know, oh, just I can't take the pressure, mental health reasons. I mean, I'm telling you, we are a society of sissies. You better, you better be you know worried about going to war with anybody else, because then look at the ones who'd be getting drafted right now, the Gen Zers. Seventy five percent say they went. Seventy five percent say they had a mental health episode when asked to do something they don't want to do. 75% of millennials don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. Here's what's nuts. So millennials and Gen Z are the most fatherless generation in the history of America. A third of all millennials, they grew up uh, with no father in a home or an abusive or an absent father. 70% of over 70% of all homes where there are two parents, they also both work. This, is, this has been a trend through these generations, So the millennials and the Gen Zers. So many of them, they grew up in daycare. And I'm not being critical. So if you think I'm being critical of that, sometimes you, you don't have to be absent. We, it's okay that they, if, they, if you have kids that have to go to daycare and you're both working. I get it. I mean, I tell you what, it's hard to make ends meet without two people working today. That's a podcast for a different day. Okay, but what happens when we get those kids, we have to reconnect. Brandy and I, we did some podcasts um, about parenting and, about, and that's just and having the heart of your child. And that's what that comes down to. You've got to have their heart. And if you have their heart... You'll be the lo- closest and the loudest voice in their life, and you can speak truth into them. The problem is, is that, parentally, is this, these generations were neglected heavily. And The studies show that. Watch this. A new study on millennial prescription medication use and mental health found that 68% of millennials surveyed take at least one prescribed medication a day with meds for depression or anxiety being the most common amongst those. That was April of 2022. I saw a number the other day that I, I, I that that's like closer to 75% now. That study that I told you where 75% of millennials said they don't even want to get out of bed. And they don't even have – they're depressed. They've they're they've isolated themselves. They don't connect. I saw on the top of that study of 75% of the millennials that feel discont- like are depressed or dealing with some level of mental health issues and taking medications. What's crazy is that the Surgeon General of the United States – not a christian not a good person all right came out and said the number one reason for that in these generations is because they no longer go to church that means they don't have community that was his point he wasn't trying to talk about how good jesus is for us which is true what he the point he was trying to make was that that uh whenever you look at the community of church that's connecting people i'm going to give you some scriptures that are really important because they are completely isolated in Proverbs 18.1, it says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Ecclesiastes four 9 through 10 Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Hebrews. This is a good one. Hebrews 10.24-25. This is important and why we need community. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much the more as you see the day, capital D, approaching. That is these latter days. We are living in these latter days, the last days, end times. Not only I believe, we are, just as Jimmy Evans says, I think we're at the end of the end times. And, you know, so... It's easy to try to get into a So I'm just going to hang on and I'm not going to do anything until Jesus comes back. I'm just, I'm done. I'm done with them all. But let me tell you something. We have a charge and it's not over. There can be revival right now. Even though there's an apostasy, uh, apostasy happening and a falling away, that doesn't mean that we can't be growing our community and, and having revival right here. Great story, man. I, like, uh, oh, I think two weeks ago, 4,166 people got baptized in a single event in Pirates Cove out in California where the Jesus revolution began back in the seventies and I'm telling you that there is, there's a late sixties, early seventies, but anyway, there's, this revival that people are, I mean, happening it's, it's, there's moments people breaking out all over that can be our community. We need to pray for interaction. We need to pray for encounters and we can have those every single day. We can have those positive encounters. Let me give you one. As I wrap up here, and my, my birthday was the other day, and I was about to go out in the backyard and I was going to cook uh, some 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 meat for us, and we're going to have a, and we we're already kind of eat starting late anyway, um, and so the doorbell rings, and when some stranger shows up at the house, everybody freaks. All the kids are like, "Daddy, there's a serial killer at the front door!" Anyway, so I, I go to the front door, and it's just a guy's a salesman. He's trying to make a living, and he he was selling a legitimate product. It had to do with pest control. Um, and trust I me, mean, we wouldn't plenty of mosquitoes lately. Well, anyway, he was a young guy. You could tell he's, he's pretty sharp looking, well-spoken. And the conversation came to faith. He told me that he's from Utah. And so he had walked away from the Mormon church, couldn't stand the Mormon church, uh, had lots of things, you know, that, a lot of wounds from it. And so it opened the dialogue. And here's the thing is that I stood out there for nearly one hour, Talking to this guy, and and it was my birthday gift to get to evangelize and, and and talk to this young man, and he he basically said this, and I will tell you this: millennials, their number one attribute that they look for is authenticity, and we're because you'll have pastors and preachers and teachers say one thing, but they do something completely else, and, and they don't live an authentic life. This guy, the first thing he was looking for was authenticity, and having a real conversation a real dialogue with him i was able to poke some holes in his theology and get him thinking now i didn't uh, you know when i was younger i probably wouldn't let him go until midnight until he just said yeah okay whatever i'll i'll i accept jesus (laughs) you know but i planted some really deep seeds there that night and that is what we are called to do is to plant those seeds to grow the body, to, to encourage one another. And, and even though all this is going on in the world, and I gave some interesting stuff, get into your word every, every day. The first thing I do is I get up, man, I read the word, and I spend time with God, and I get my head straight. And throughout the day, today, I encountered some stuff technically that was beyond me. And I just, I'm like, I have a father. Show me what to do. He wants to be in a relationship with you, and and he wants us to have encounters with other people. That's what I pray for. God. Who do I get to tell you tell about uh, somebody? I want to tell somebody. Let me know. Put them in my pad. I will tell them about you today. And sometimes it's just me wearing an article of clothing or something like that that can spark a conversation. Like I have a hat with a little cross on it. Just real simple. I can't tell you that that particular hat. I mean, people see it and they're like, did you make that hat? Was that? I mean, it, it's, it's a miracle. Like in an elevator, sometimes the things that people will say, but it gives you opportunity. So if you... Don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's also going to be my number one thing is if you, you, we all need Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus in your heart, that is the most important decision of your life. In Romans 10 9, it says that if you confess with your tongue and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died and God raised him from the dead, you're saved. If you have not made that decision to live for Christ, do it right now. You could be in your car, you could be going down the street, and it goes just like this. It's so simple. I know, Lord, that in John 3, 16, your your word says that you sent your only begotten son to die so that we could have everlasting life. I know that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of God. And he came to earth, and he died, and he was raised again. I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, and I know that my name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, listen, I could sure use your help. If y'all have enjoyed these podcasts, I pray that you would just give a comment out there. Say something that kind of gets people talking and helps the, the algorithm a little bit. Share these podcasts with uh, with your family, with your friends. Give us a like if, uh, if you liked it. If you didn't like it, yeah, don't hit that other one. All right, no, I'm just kidding. Do whatever you feel like you need to do. But hey, thanks for sticking it out to the end. And I cannot wait to talk to you on the next one.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's podcast from the Church of Bushland. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram by using the Church of Bushland. We are all about people because God is all about people. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference.